Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We are so excited that you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our study through the New Testament book of James. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Do us a favor and text NEW TO HOPE to 94090. After you hit send, you'll get an immediate response from our team with a link to a short form you can fill out so that we can get to know you better. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the sermon. There is an organization called the American Dialect Society. It's actually an organization that's over 130 years old. I'd never heard of them before this week, but it's an organization that's made up of a group of writers, editors, linguists, historians, and other academic fields. And every year they gather in January and choose a word of the year from the previous year. I bet you can guess what the word of the year was for 2020. Anybody got a guess? Yes, COVID, right? COVID is the word of the year, that new swear word that has been introduced into our vocabulary. COVID was 2020's word of the year. Well, in January of 2011, they picked the word of the year for 2010. Anybody got to guess what that word was? It was the word app. Because 2010 is the year that Apple trademarked the phrase, there's an app for that. And apps burst onto the scene massively in 2010. There were app stores that you could download apps from. Now, we all know what apps are today. They're software programs designed to run on a platform, such as a mobile device, a tablet, uh, a computer. And today in the world that we live in, every social, every leisure, and every work activity has an app that you can download. You can grab your phone, and you can, through apps, you can engage with all sorts of different activities. If you don't know it yet, Hope Church has an app. I would encourage you, if you hadn't done it yet, to download the Hope app. Tons of good information on there. You can get daily devotions. You can get notes for our sermons every week. You can follow along with the latest happenings in our church. So Hope Church, there's an app for that, right? Everything has an app. Some of my favorite apps are sports apps. Another app that I use all the time is the weather app or the app for the stock market. But here's what we do with apps. We grab our phone when we need it, when we need some information, when we're thinking about it, when we need to check that score or get the latest report or find out how cold it's going to be today. We grab the phone, we grab the tablet, we open the app, we grab the information that we need, then we close the app, we put it away and we're done. That's the way apps work. You grab them. You get what you need, you close it, you put it away. Here's the problem. A lot of us have begun to treat God and his word like an app. When we need it, we go to the word, we open it up, we get what we need, we close it, we go about our lives. Sometimes we just need a quick pick-me-up. Maybe we're having a bad day, 
And we just need God to give us an emotional lift. And so we go to look for that underlying passage of Scripture and we read that underlying place just to give us that pick-me-up. And once we get it, we close it and we go right back to our business. Or maybe we need a word of encouragement or maybe we need a promise or maybe we're needing an answer. Maybe there's, there's something that, that's on us and we need to make a decision. And, man, we need an answer. And all of a sudden, God's Word becomes a priority. We get it like the app. We open it up. There's even a Bible app, Right? You can go to the app, get what you need, close it, move away. Well, we're in a section of Scripture in the book of James. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it to James chapter 1. And in this section of Scripture, James is teaching us a very different approach to God and His Word. God's Word is not an app. God's Word is not an app that we just run to when we need a quick pick-me-up and then we close it and put it back on the shelf and pick it back up when we go to service on Sunday. James is teaching us something far more significant about our relationship to God's Word. Last weekend, Pastor Travis opened this section of Scripture and he talked to us about how to give priority to the Word. If you didn't catch that last week, and I encourage you to go back on the app or on our website and watch last week's message to understand what he unpacked so powerfully about us giving priority to God's Word in our lives. But James continues to press in on this thing of our relationship to God's Word, not only by saying we should give His Word priority, but James begins to teach us how we should respond to God's Word in our lives. We have an interactive relationship with God's Word. The Bible tells us about itself that it's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. We're, we have a, a vibrant relationship with God, and God speaks to us and moves us through his word. So as we continue our study, I want to pick it up, James chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put it up here on the screen. We're going to pick up reading in verse 21. We started last weekend looking at verses 19 and 20, but we'll pick up in verse 21. James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted which is able to save your souls. That save your souls there is not talking about the salvation that we've experienced when we became a Christian. Obviously, it is God speaking to us through his word that draws us to salvation. But as James is talking about salvation here, he's talking about it in the broader sense, the continuing work of salvation that God is doing in our lives through his word, that work of transformation and sanctification. Let's read on verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. James has told us we need to give priority to the word, but now he begins to teach us how we must respond 
to God's Word. And I want to unpack it for you in three statements today. If you're with me, say amen. 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 All right, here's the first one. I must respond to God's Word with a heart of, say the last word out loud, repentance. Ooh, right? I mean, repentance, really? That's kind of an old Bible word, repentance. It's not a very popular word because the word repentance at its core is a word that means change. It's a word that leads to change. And let's just be honest, none of us are comfortable with change. Change is not something we like. Change is not something we go looking for. As a matter of fact, a lot of us now, we're just asking for some return to normalcy, right? Just no more change. The word repentance is all about change. And and the word repentance, unfortunately today, is simply not very popular in the American church. We'd rather talk about blessing or favor or forgiveness or promises or God's acceptance of us. But here's the reality. If you and I are going to rightly respond to God's word, we must respond to it with a heart of repentance. You see, it's a heart of repentance that invites his blessing and his favor and the privilege of his promises into our lives. As we read God's word, as we give priority to the word in our lives, and we see ourselves reflected in scripture, and we see God calling us to change and transformation, when we begin to repent, when we begin to turn away away from our way and turn to God's way, we invite his favor and his blessing and his privilege into our lives. Charles Spurgeon said this about repentance. This is what he said. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it, It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what he once hated and hate what he once loved. Repentance is a change of mind about sin that produces a change of action towards sin. Let's go back to the text. Look at verse 21. Listen to what James said. He said the first word in verse 21 is the word therefore. Now the word therefore is a word of transition. What did he just say? He just said give priority to the word. Make sure that you're quick to hear God's word. You're slow to speak and you're slow to anger. Give priority to God's word. And based on giving priority to God's word, here's what I want to now say to you. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Therefore, having given priority to the word, here's how you need to respond to it. He starts with this idea of putting aside, putting aside. It's a word in the Greek language. It literally could be, could be used to taking off a dirty garment. You have on some clothing that's gotten dirty and you, you, you see the dirt and you say, hey, I shouldn't have this dirt on me. So you change. You take that clothing off and you put on some new clothing. Well, what does he say we're to take off? He says we're to take off, first of all, all filthiness. What is filthiness? Filthiness is a very broad term. This is the only place it's used in the entire New Testament. 
It's a word that speaks to moral defilement or corruption. And it really speaks to everything in me that is inconsistent with the life of Jesus. Here's what happens. We look into the word and we begin to see that stuff in our lives that's not like him. I get in the word. I give priority to the word. And God begins to reveal stuff in me that doesn't look like Jesus. What does he say I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to put that off. It's a heart of repentance where I'm ready to change and be conformed to the image of Christ. Then he says we're to put aside all wickedness that remains. The word wickedness, it's a word that speaks to our depravity. You say, what is that? Well, the theological definition of depravity is apart from the grace of God, we would all run headlong into every form of wickedness. Here's what that means. Even though we've come to know Jesus, even though we have a secure place in heaven, as followers of Jesus, we still have a flesh. Anybody say amen to that? Amen. And you can say amen for the person you're here with if you'd like to, right? As followers of Jesus, we all still have a flesh. And our flesh is bent towards doing that, which is opposite of what God would have us to do. And it's only as we maintain priority in in giving priority to the word that we, we see that stuff in us that doesn't look like Jesus, that stuff that's my flesh and not him. And what, what, what James is calling us to here is a heart of repentance where we begin to take that off. Here's the bottom line. We are not finished yet. Amen? Don't look at anybody like, "Mm -hmm, you ain't finished yet. I know that. No, we're not finished yet. We are works in progress. You ever been driving on the interstate and saw the sign that says men at work, meaning people are there working? We really ought to all have a sign hanging over our lives that says God at work, right? Now, positionally what he's doing in us is already done. We've been declared righteous. We're right with God. But practically, he's working that righteousness out in our lives. We are not finished products. So here's what that means. As we approach God's word, he's going to show us stuff in our lives that we've never seen before. I mean, let's be honest. When we came to know Jesus, when you were saved, you realized that you were a sinner, amen? And you knew that you needed a savior and you saw Jesus as the one who could save you. When I became a Christian, I became a Christian as a freshman in college. And when I surrendered my life to Jesus, I turned from my sin. But you know what? There was stuff in my life that was sin I didn't even know was sin yet. I turned from what I knew But I'm thankful that he didn't show me all of it day one because I wasn't ready for it. I'm a work in progress. And every day as I give priority to the word, as we, we give the word a voice in our life, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to reveal stuff to us. Some of it we didn't even know last week was sin. We didn't even know he wanted that area of our life. Let me tell you what else that'll help us do. That'll help us all give each other a little more grace. Because just because God has already honed in one area of your life doesn't mean he's already honed that in in everybody else's life. We're all a work in progress. So we must approach the word, giving it priority, but we must have a heart of repentance. It's it's why he describes it here as a mirror. When we look into God's word, it reveals stuff 
that we can't see. You ever been at lunch with somebody? And you're just having the best lunch in the world. I mean, you're yakking it up and enjoying the food and you're talking and laughing. You're thinking, man, this is going great. And you get up and go to the bathroom. And when you get to the bathroom, you realize you got this big piece of something right there. And you've been all this time thinking you're just connecting and lunch is going great. And what you realize is the reason they've been so focused is they can't take their eyes off of what's on your tooth. Now, what do you do? Well, you just go back to lunch and leave it there. No, what do you you, you remove it, right? You put it aside. That's what James is describing. When we're in the Word, giving priority to the Word, there'll be moments when the mirror of God's Word is going to show us stuff in us that does not look like Jesus. And our response must be a heart of repentance. Here's what this means. For the Christian, repentance is not a one-time experience at salvation. Repentance is a way of life. Every day. If we're giving priority to the Word, the reality is every day of our lives, God is going to reveal stuff. He's going to hold that mirror up and we're going to see that stuff in us that doesn't look like Jesus. And here's what James is saying. Our responsibility, repentance. Repentance. You say, okay, what does repentance look like practically? I hear the word, but what does it look like to repent? All right, I want to break that down for you with three very simple phrases. I'm going to put them up here on the screen. Here's the first one. Confess my sin. That's what it looks like. What does it look like to repent? Here's what it looks like. It starts with confessing my sin. The Bible says it this way in the book of Proverbs chapter 28. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Here's what that means. When you're giving priority to the word and you're in the word, man, and you're spending time with God and the mirror of God's word reveals something, here's what you do. Confess it. The word confess in the Greek language is the word homa logeo. It's two words put together. Homa is the word the same. Logeo is the word to say or speak. So the word confess means to say the same thing about it. What does that mean? It means that when God shows us stuff through his word that doesn't look like him, here's what we do. We agree with him. We say, yep, God, I see that. You're right and I'm wrong. Here's what we want to do. We want to begin to justify it. God shows us something in his word and we got explanation for why. We want to excuse it. We want to make concession for it. We want to argue with God about why we can hang on to that. But here's what James says. No, we got to repent. We got to put it off. And the starting place is confession. Meaning when I'm in the word and God shows me something about me that doesn't look like him, here's the first step of repentance. God, you're right. And I'm wrong. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to try to explain my position. I'm not going to try to help you understand why the other person was just as wrong. God, you're right. And I'm wrong. Confession. Here's the second phrase. Not only confess my sin, turn from my sin. What does it look like? 
Practically, what does repentance look like? Confess my sin, but then turn from my sin. This is the attitude that by faith says, this is not who I am anymore. Yeah, it may be who I used to be, but it's not who I am anymore. Now who I am is who I am in Christ. And this is the step that is the difference between remorse and repentance. Remorse is feeling bad because I got caught and there are consequences. Repentance is brokenness over having offended a holy and loving God that leads me to turning away from that sin. We all feel bad when we get caught. We all feel bad when there are consequences. That's remorse. Repentance is a brokenness that leads me to say, God, you're right and I'm wrong and Lord... That's not who I, even though everything in me wants to do that, God, that's not who I am anymore. By faith, I lay that at your feet. I turn away from that. Listen to the way J.I. Packer said it. He said, repentance means turning from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. And as our knowledge grows at these three points, so our practice of repentance has to be enlarged. Hear what he said? As much as you know of your sin. You know why? Because God hasn't showed you all of it yet. (laughs) As much as you know of your God, we don't know everything about him yet. And we surrender that. That's why this repentance is an ongoing daily lifestyle for the Christian. So what does it look like practically to repent? When I look in the mirror of God's word, I see something in me that doesn't look like Jesus. I agree with God. I confess my sin. Secondly, by faith, I turn from my sin. I give it to him. I, I turn away from it. I let go of it. Then here's the third thing. Here's the third act of repentance. Embrace God's forgiveness. Listen to this verse of Scripture. If we confess our sin, he is, say it out loud. Oh, come on, say it out loud. That's good news, right? If we confess when God in his word shows us something about me that doesn't line up with who he is, and I get honest with God and by faith, if we confess our sins, here's the good news. He is always faithful to forgive our sin. And I love this. This is what it says. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's that? That's the stuff he ain't showed us yet. That's the stuff we don't know about yet. But if we get honest about what we know, not only is there forgiveness already in Christ for that, his grace cleanses us from all the stuff we're not even aware of yet that he's going to deal with in our lives. Let me tell you why this piece is important. I want to put those three phrases up here together. What does it look like to repent practically, confess my sin, turn from my sin, embrace God's forgiveness? You know why this part's important? Because here's what we often do. People think repentance is just these two, and then we walk around carrying the guilt of what we've done, right? Listen to me. The Holy Spirit convicts that leads us to repent. The Holy Spirit never condemns. Condemnation is always the act of the enemy. 
If you're carrying around the guilt, if you're carrying around the weight of what you've confessed before God and what you've let go of, listen, what you need to do is let go of it all and embrace the glorious forgiveness of God that is yours in Christ. So here's what I want us to do in this moment before we go to the second point. I want to give you just a moment. I'm going to ask everybody in the room and even online just to take a moment and just bow your head for just a moment. Is there anything in your life right now that needs to be repented of? Confess it. By faith, God, that's not who I am anymore. And embrace God's forgiveness. Say, God, thank you that you've forgiven me and I'm your loved, accepted child. Is there anything that needs to be repented of? Maybe it's something that you said to somebody. Maybe it's an attitude in your heart that you're harboring. Maybe it's a repeated act in your life that you've yet to yield. I don't know what it may be for you, but in this moment, I'm just going to give a few seconds of silence. And listen, if the Holy Spirit of God, in response to His Word in this moment, is bringing something to your heart by way of conviction, here's what I want you to do. Confess your sin. Turn from your sin. And embrace the forgiveness of God. Look this way. You know the greatest weapon you have in the arsenal against the enemy is repentance. Because when you repent, he doesn't know what to do. You just got a clean slate with the Father. You just yielded that. You just took back ground that the enemy had staked out as his territory in your life. There's power in continual repentance. And maybe some of you in that moment said, well, God, it's me again, and i got to repent again of that again. Here's what you need to know. Here's what God said. Uh, again, what are you talking about? Because when you turned from it last time, he forgave you. It's done. All the forgiveness is already accomplished in Christ. It's all already forgiven in him. There is therefore now no condemnation. As we approach God's word, and give it priority, the first way we must respond is with a heart of repentance. Let me give you a second way. We must respond with a heart of surrender. A heart of surrender. Go back to verse 21. James writes and he says, Therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Then he says, In humility receive the word implanted. Did you hear it? In humility, receive the word. The word humility here is not the normal word translated humility in the New Testament. This is a word that means strength 
under control. In some older translations, it's the word translated meekness. It's a word that Jesus uses to describe himself. It's strength or power under control. What's James saying here? Here's what he's saying. As I give priority to the word in my life, when God's word begins to speak, here's what I'm to do. I'm to place myself under the authority of God's word. I'm to live in submission to God's word. Now, the opposite of submission is to read God's word with a heart of consideration. Here's what I mean by that. We see what God's word says, and I'll consider that. I see what God's word, and here's the way you know we're living here. Because here's what, well, I know the Bible says, but, and then you fill in the blank with our excuse, our justification, our reasoning, our logic to why our set of circumstances gives us the privilege to live outside of submission to God's word. But here's what James is saying. No, if we're going to have the right response to God's word, when we read God's word, we bring ourselves under the authority. I don't need to pray about it. I don't need to talk to somebody about it. If God's word says it, I submit to what scripture says. That's the heart James says we're to have towards the word. And look what he says in verse 22. He says, and as you do this, you'll prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers only. As we receive the word with a heart of submission, the word becomes not simply something we read or something we hear, but it becomes something that we live. This phrase here, prove yourselves, in the Greek language literally is the word to become. And you can literally translate this, keep on becoming. Here's what James says. As you and I give priority to the word in our lives and we approach it with a heart of repentance and a heart of submission, here's what's going to happen. You're going to keep on becoming a doer of the word, meaning this, obedience to God's word literally becomes who we are and not just something that we do. Let me give you a life application thinking about this principle. Look at it up here on the screen. Time in the Word is not a ritual to be performed. Time in the Word is a means by which we're transformed. You see, a lot of Christians think time in the Word is a ritual to be performed, meaning this, well, I have to read my Bible today in order to be a good Christian. I got to read my Bible today. They almost treat reading the Bible like a good luck charm. If I want to be on God's good side, if I want God to be happy with me, then today I got to read the Bible. Here's what James is saying. Time in the Word is not a ritual to be performed. Time in the Word is a means by which we're transformed. As we approach God's Word and give it priority in our lives and we respond to it with a heart of repentance and a heart of submission, God begins to change us from the inside out and we literally become doers of the Word. You look at our lives and they become a reflection of what God said in his word. Paul writes this same principle in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Listen to what he said. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. You hear it? Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. 
as we give priority to the word and we respond with a heart of repentance and submission, God begins to change us from the inside out and literally begins to conform us to the image of Christ so that what comes out of us is not a better us. It's literally Christ in us. And guess what that looks like? A doer of the word. My mentor Clyde Cranford said it this way in his book. He said, transformation is God's work alone, yet it hinges on something that we must do. We must behold or focus intently on all that is glorious about Christ. How do we do that? Through his word. In response, God performs his supernatural work of transforming our very lives. So let's do it again. I'm not going to have you bow your heads this time, but I want to ask you the same question. Is there any area of God's word where you know God has spoken clearly and you've yet to place your life under submission to his word? You think somehow you get a pass on that? Or you think somehow that you know a better way than that? Or or your plan is going to somehow work out better than God's plan? And here's what I want you to do. In this moment, God, you're right, I'm wrong. And you bring yourself in submission to God and his word. And here's the beauty of this. James says at the end of this text that we read, he said, this man will be blessed. When you you walk with a heart of repentance towards God's word and you live with a heart of submission to God's word, here's what you do. You invite the blessing and the favor and the privilege of being a child of God into your life. God's never going to tell you anything in his word to do to rob you of the joy and pleasure of life. God's given us that instruction in his word to let us experience all that life has to offer heart of submission. Here's the last thing. I must respond to God's word with a heart of perseverance. Perseverance. I wrestled with what word to choose for this last statement, and I landed on perseverance after I read this definition in the dictionary. Look at this definition. Perseverance is persistence in doing something despite the difficulty or the delay in achieving success. we got to read God's Word. We have to respond to God's Word in perseverance. James uses two phrases to describe this perseverance in verse 25. Look back at verse 25. He says, but the one who looks intently, there's the first phrase. This is a phrase that it means to, to get down low and to, to look carefully. It's, a, it's what one commentator called an absorbing look. It's soaking it all in. It's the same word that was used to describe Peter when he ran up to the tomb and he, he, lay, he looked into the tomb and he knelt down to absorb and take up everything that had happened that he was seeing. The scripture says that we have to have this continuous attitude of leaning into God's word and looking intently, absorbing the scriptures into our life. And then he says, if anyone looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and here's the second phrase, abides by it. You know what the word abides means? It means to stay, to remain. And here's the point. What I'm talking about this weekend, being changed through a heart of repentance and submission, is not 
a microwave process. Say, what do you mean by that? I mean it doesn't happen fast. It's the long game. How many of you have ever eaten a Pop-Tart? Let me see your hand. I know for all the health, you don't want to admit it, but most of us have eaten a Pop-Tart. Did you know that on the side of the box of Pop-Tarts, there are, dist- there are instructions for how to cook your Pop-Tart as if it's rocket science. Like somebody would stand there and look at a box of Pop-Tarts and not know how to get it from there to here, right? But there are literally a set of instructions on the side of a box of Pop-Tarts. And not only that, there are two methods that you can use. One is the toaster. You can take your Pop-Tart out of the foil. You can put it into the toaster oven. You can set it on a middle setting. And in about a minute and 20 seconds, you can have glorious Pop-Tart perfection. But for those of you whose schedule is so jammed, you do not have a minute and 20 seconds to wait on your Pop-Tart. There are a second set of instructions for the microwave. And here's what the microwave instructions say. Microwave your Pop-Tart on high for three seconds. There's a comedian, Brian Regan, who does a thing on this. And Brian Regan said, man, if your life is so jammed that you don't have time to toast your Pop-Tart, you may need to loosen up your schedule, right? But here's the point I'm making. We live in a world where we expect everything ready in three seconds. I need to go to a class and it needs to be done. I need to read a book and it needs to be over. I need to have a quiet time and it needs to all be changed. Here's what James is saying. There's no three-second microwave option for spiritual transformation. It's perseverance and giving daily priority to the Word. And responding to it in repentance and responding to it in submission. Church, here's what this means. Grabbing your Our Daily Bread devotional on the way out the door is not enough. Hey, I'll make it even more personal. Hope Church, we got this app. We do a daily devotion on the app every day. It's great. It's great. It's not enough. What James is describing here is a leaning into the Word. Are those devotions? You're saying we don't do the devotions? No. Devotionals are a great way to warm your heart to get ready to lean into the Word. I use devotionals every day in my life to prepare my heart for sitting at His feet and listening to His Word, for giving priority to the Word. Devotionals, worship song, those are great to to get our heart ready. But what James is describing is an attitude that is leaning into the Word and living in the Word with a heart of repentance and submission. It means that in our daily time with God, man, we need to meditate on God's Word. We need to chew on it. And our fellowship with others, we need to be wrestling with the Word together. Who are the people in your life that you're regularly chewing on God's Word together with them? And then as we come together every week in worship, man, we need to feast on the Word. You know, you know what the tragedy in the American church is? The tragedy in the American church is there's a dearth of the preaching of the Word of God today. 
we got a bunch of entertainers that focus on pop psychology and self-help philosophy when what God's given us is His absolute, inerrant, inspired Word. And only the Word of God can change our lives. When we come together as the people of God, we need to feast on the Word. We need to do it with a heart of repentance, a heart of submission, and a heart of perseverance.